0: let's pray father open your word to our hearts help us hear what jesus says and find comfort and challenge for transformation in that we ask in his name amen you've got a little child and it's it's getting dark Night's falling, which means it's really time to put them to bed. So you go and you take them and you tuck them into bed and you give them a kiss, good night and you turn out the lights. If you live where we live, there's often possums running around, but who cares if it's possums? What's that noise? I can't see. And then, and then the mind starts to race and there's a boogie monster under the bed. There's a boogie monster under the bed. And it's like everything, well, it's, it's, ah! Good mommy. But There's not just children. We um, live down on the other side of Pennant Hills Park. <clears throat> and uh, if you're walking home at night, if you catch the train at 10 o'clock and it's night, you walk down, confidently down Britannia and the Crescent, and then you come to Pennant Hills Park, and even me as a big, big growing up, I start to feel a little bit nervous when I'm walking past the park and the toilets. Just... More aware, and then I get down to this next section, past the roundabout, and there's just bush on both sides. And I'm, I'm aware, and I'm a big grown-up. I'm not scared. I don't want you to think I'm scared. <laughs> but I'm aware that it's dark, and, and maybe I want my mummy. Because <laughs> um, if, if, if you are that child, if, mu- if mum and dad are there, well, that's comfort, isn't it? Then you've got security and and the fear goes because someone's going to look after you if the boogie monster is under the bed or chase it away well i've just celebrated recently my 53rd birthday so i am all grown up it's i cannot it's so getting so hard to convince myself that i'm still young i'm trying and i am not afraid of the dark but let me share a personal struggle Uh, a debate that I've been having. Am I just getting old and cranky? That's one possibility. And and as you get old, things change and that brings new fears because you don't know how to handle the change. So that could be happening. Or is my worry real and justified? Because I can't help thinking that in the last, particularly the last five years, there have been massive changes in our society. It used to be, Christians have never been, oh, it's been a long, long, long time since the church has been mainstream in Australia. And, but it used to be that Christians were tolerated, that we had our part in society, our place in the world. People may not agree with us, they may think we're wowsers, but let them get on with their business. But in recent times, it seems we are increasingly being identified as the problem in society we are becoming the enemy our morals that we say the bible teach our insistence that jesus is the only way to be right with god and to have eternal life that we believe this ancient book the bible that we believe that there is a god who made things to whom we are all accountable who has revealed himself to his creation that there is therefore sin rejection of god offense there is therefore judgment and there is a savior and that there is right and wrong which stand above the shifting sands of public sentiment these are the things we believe and these are the things that i feel are increasingly been seen being identified as being wicked things to believe. Things that distort and hurt people that we've got to get rid of. Just one example. There have been numerous studies looking at the practice of people living together before marriage and the, how they end up in terms of their happiness with their marriage or their, the length, their sustainability, when they get divorced. And every study, whoever does it, Whatever sort of bias I want says you actually, results seem to be better if you don't live together before you're married. (laughs) If I say in the public sphere that you shouldn't get married, I've said this to people, you know, it's actually, statistically it's better. Now statistics aren't specifics, they're statistics, they're general. So I'm not saying you can't have a happy marriage if you've lived together beforehand, but... Generally, people who don't do have better marriages. I literally get laughter and derision. You literally get put down. If you were to say to people, it's really, really better not to have sex with people until you're committed to that one person in marriage, that is just ridiculous. That is harmful. That I should hinder people from their free expression of their nature and their sexuality by my distorted morals i become the enemy despite what the facts and what hurt people might say over and over again i i feel that our world is becoming increasingly self-righteous narcissistic focused on my rights, just let me do what I think is right. And so the Christian who holds to it absolute transcendence becomes the enemy. Absolute rights and wrongs, a God who created. And it is, seems to be now perfectly acceptable in our politically correct world, the one thing that's perfectly acceptable is to slander and deride people who follow Jesus. When all these other comments are banned... It disturbs me and I don't like it because I'm a Christian. I identify with Jesus. I feel like they're picking on me. Well, actually, they are. I don't like that. So here's my struggle. And it's a genuine question in my mind. Is it that the world is changing and I'm getting old and I don't like that change and I feel threatened by that change? Or actually, have we something to worry about that's very genuine and very real? Because societies do change for the worse in destructive ways. Historically, it's a very real thing. I don't know, I'm not trying to work out the answer necessarily today. But either way, whether it's reality or whether it's just my perception, how should I respond? How should we respond if we do feel this sense of fear that darkness is falling, that the night is coming. Are we the Roman Empire, falling before the Huns come down and invade, falling from within? What do I do? Do I act like a scared child? Do I scream? Do I shout out for mummy? Or do I fight against the changes? Or do I put borders all around my bed so the boogie monster can't get anywhere near me lying in the middle of my bed? today, in the passage we just had read for us, the light of the world shows the way I believe. How do we respond when we feel, rightly or wrongly, how do we respond when night falls, when the darkness seems to be surrounding? We're in this series, meekness and majesty. We see the greatness of Jesus and we see his absolute humility. Humility. Last week I said we came to a turning point in John's Gospel. We entered, left the Book of Signs, as they call it, and entered the Book of Glory, heading for the cross and the resurrection. But the real pivot in John's Gospel so we say, let's say chapters one to 11, 1 to twelve and then thirteen onwards, the real pivot in John's Gospel is chapter twelve, verse thirty, which we encountered today. Jesus is sharing a meal with his disciples. He has just humbled himself and washed their feet as a servant. And then this, he's concerned, he's troubled. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And, his dis- and Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked him, ask him which one he means. So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas... The son of Simon, the Iscariot. As soon as Jesus, Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, "What you are about to do, do quickly." But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought he was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, for the feast, or others to give something to the poor. But as soon as Jesus Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Chapter 12, 13, verse 30, that is the pivot point in John's Gospel. He went out and it was night. Judas walks into the darkness and the mechanics of betrayal and arrest, trial, beating, mockery, bloodlust, crucifixion, death have been set in motion. And with this impending horror, what does Jesus do? How does he respond? How does he expect his disciples who remain to respond? And, And as I look at this, how might we or I respond if I sense that the night is falling and the darkness is getting deeper. What makes it easy for a kid who's scared of the boogie monster, as night comes, is if they know that mum and dad are close by. If they know that they're being watched over and that actually mum and dad have everything under control, then I can rest. Now Jesus Jesus and his disciples had every reason to be afraid. Everything in their world is about to spin wildly out of control, it would seem. What is about to happen is truly horrifying. And Jesus is troubled. He tells us here, oh, he's troubled, but you know, Jesus is not afraid. He has confidence and he has confidence because, surprisingly, he remains in total control. He knows what is about to happen and he knows that it is completely within and under the understanding of his father's determined plan and purpose. So we read there in verse 18, Jesus said there's going to be something happening about betrayal and he says... I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture, quoting from the Psalms He who shared my bread has turned against me. This is entirely in accord with God's predetermined plan and purpose. He says in verse 18, 19, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. When it happens, you will believe that I, I am. It's a claim to divinity. It's a claim to total control. It's a claim to total sovereignty. When I am betrayed, you will see and you will realize, because I told you beforehand that I am the I am the Eternal One. And as night falls, the wheels set in motion, Jesus claims sovereign control. And when you and I walk into the darkness and we wonder what lies ahead, this same Lord Jesus retains sovereign control. Everything is under control. He has promised to never leave us and never forsake us and to be with us always, even to the very end of the age. And we may not understand what the purpose is as the night falls, but he is with us and we can rest in him. I am a child of God. I don't see everything, but my Father does. And I will trust and I will rest. And I will not be afraid, even as the darkness falls. See Jesus is fully aware that he will suffer. He will be crucified, he will bear the weight of the sin of the world, but he knows at this moment that it's for his God's good purpose and that his suffering will be for glory. It'll be a manifestation of his father's love and his love for his people. And God's His majesty will be displayed in the perfect obedience of his Son and his sacrifice of love. Suffering, cross, resurrection, ascension all display the power of God and the coming of the kingdom in glory and power. No wonder then, as Jesus, Jesus says, after Judas has departed, he's left with his faithful disciples, and he says, <clears throat> Hold it, where are we? When he had gone, Jesus said, This is when Judas is gone, now the betrayer has left, now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Judas is going to betray me. It's all set in motion. My suffering and sacrifice of love. The Father is glorified, and I am glorified in him, and he is glorified in me about eight years ago eight or nine years ago at easter hillsong church came up with a very little simple symbol for their easter services for that year cross equals heart cross equals love what jesus has done it's all about love that's kind of i don't know if it's gone viral but that's become a popular sort of image across churches of all kinds all across the world it's a very simple Message, very simple symbols. But I would like to suggest an improvement based upon John 13. Cross equals love equals glory. Cross equals glory, love equals glory. It's all the same thing. Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. And follow me into glory, which means sacrifice. Because sacrifice equals love, and love equals glory. And so your sacrifice is glory. It's the consistent message of the Scriptures. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, and I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. The apostles are arrested in Jerusalem in the early days of the church. They're warned about preaching about Jesus. Then they're flogged and they're warned again don't do it or worse is going to happen. And they're let go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, we've been warned, but we want the glory. Because we love God more. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed you are, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, glory. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's what I'm, in a little way, feeling like in Australia now. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, the glory, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The great apostle in his probably possibly greatest chapter that he wrote, Romans 8, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Hallelujah! Now if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Hallelujah! If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 1 Peter, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice! Rejoice in as much you share and participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Cross equals heart equals glory. This is the Christian life. This is to be our expectation. And it's simple, really. If you want to love something or somebody, you will suffer. You get a puppy. The puppy does its thing that puppies do. You fall in love with the puppy. And you buy years of dog food at high cost. And you pick up mountains of poop. And you take it to the vet too many times and you fork out hundreds and thousands of dollars. And then, because puppies don't live long, as we do, they die and your heart is broken. And you cry because you loved Fido. That's what love is like. It's like, (laughs) hey, let's not love a puppy, let's love a person. you've got to learn tolerance you've got to be hurt let's get married let's love so much i was at a wedding yesterday some of our others of you were at other weddings too for better or for worse and you discover there's actually plenty of worse but actually the glory is in the love of making it through the worse and persevering for the good of the other To love is to be like God which is beautiful and that will mean suffering and to be a Christian is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and that's to be called to suffering which is glory. You love other people like Winnie and Gim have been doing and Winnie's crying, you probably didn't see her tears when she was talking about some of those people that she's lost because cross equals love equals glory. Consider Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12. So, what do we do? Well, here's what we do we do not let the darkness and the night shape us. But let us live as people who walk in the light, even in the darkness with the hope of Jesus in our hearts. Not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind as the Spirit works in us. How do we live? Well, we follow Jesus in the most basic way. How do we live as night falls? Just follow Jesus. What does that mean? What's the most basic thing? Well, here's what Jesus says. My children, he calls his disciples his children because he loves them and he's there for them in the dark night. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer, and you will look for me just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going. You cannot come. He's going to going away, but he says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's just washed their feet. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What do you do when the night falls, when it's getting dark? Do you fight against the darkness? Do you moan and complain about the darkness? Do you lobby and protest? Let me say, there's perhaps places for those at times, but our first call is to love. Our first call is to let our light shine in the darkness, which is hope for the dark world. (laughs) You know, why fight when you can let the light shine and give people hope? That's what changed the world 2,000 years ago, love. This early church father, to tell you, in 100 years after John wrote this, he was quoting, uh, quoting pagans complaining about Christians, saying, look at how they love one another. Look at how they're prepared to die for one another instead of, like, we often hate one another and we're trying to kill one another, but look at these Christians, they're different. They love one another. So can you see how much you matter here as part of our church or any church? Church matters because here your love is to be expressed with other disciples. You ought to be living out the cross in community, which will be powerful, which will shine, which is you want to do relational evangelism. One fantastic way to do relational evangelism is to be part of a church where you love one another and you love the world as that spills over and you invite people to see that love. And it's peculiar. And it's so attractive because everybody wants to be loved. You're alerting people in love to the universal reign of God in Christ Jesus. That's evangelism. Well, it's so simple, what Jesus says, just love one another. (coughs) But it's not simple enough for Peter. Peter is an activist. Peter is a doer. There's got to be a better way. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, (coughs) where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will, Peter, follow me later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now, there's a man who loves his master, yeah? There's a man of action. There's a world changer. There's confidence and boldness. There is love or is that a proud man with a Messiah complex who is totally unaware of his own weakness. He wants to save Jesus. So he thinks in his bold confidence, little realising that Jesus has come to save him from this hour. Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Oh, Peter. Just count the hours. Peter needs forgiveness. Peter needs salvation. And you know, I think Peter provides a foil for us when we sense the night falling it's getting darker is it my calling now to go and save the world to adopt a Messiah complex to state boldly that I will go and change things that through our sacrifice we will win the victory now that we have a Christian Prime Minister now that we work for legislative change on social issues Demand an equal voice in the public square. Now, Christians should have a voice. And I'm glad for every believer in Jesus in politics, as hard as it is for them. And I would like to see more. And we need not be marginalised from the public stage as we are being. So there is a place for that. However, if we put our hope in these things, we have lost the plot. We think we can lobby the world to change? There's a misunderstanding of kingdoms here. And priorities, as if we can change darkness to light and make the sun rise by our own efforts. Jesus is sovereign. He is saviour. He is calling us to love one another and to remain humble and faithful. To go to our little symbol for the year, that's so simple that we just keep walking humbly with our God. That is our calling. That is our first calling. That song we sang earlier, to sing, My wealth is in the cross. There's my glory. There's the power. And we let the light of Jesus shine through us so that he can do the saving and the changing, as he's done, as Christians are faithful in love. So we need to guard ourselves against denying the Lord or boasting of the Lord or fighting for the Lord if we're not prepared first to love and suffer. See, with Jesus, we do indeed get meekness in majesty. And we get majesty seen in meekness. And his service and love doesn't diminish his majesty, but actually magnifies it. Right at the start of John's Gospel, we're told of Jesus, "...in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind." The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, will not overcome it, cannot comprehend it. But we've just got to make sure that Jesus shines in the darkness. So I suspect I'm not the only one feeling a bit out of place by the changes in our society. The only one perhaps feeling a little bit scared. And look, I don't know if we're moving into the darkness because the world's always been a dark place and it's pretty dark in lots of places of the world. So, you know, life changes. I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe I am scared and getting old and maybe the world is changing and it is getting darker. I don't know. But irrespective, this is God's world. Jesus is Lord. He has a plan to make new and to redeem His people. He calls us to live by faith and hope and love and love and love. And the greatest of these is love. And He has promised that as we do that, as we follow Him faithfully, that our love will be expressed in suffering. And that is glory. Glory, hallelujah, when it happens. So we can rejoice even in our sufferings, because we are carrying our cross and showing the world how good Jesus is. A new command he gives us. A new command so that people might be drawn to the light. That they might see the kingdom as he wants it to be, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of sacrifice, a kingdom of glory. What do we do as the night falls? Or if we feel the night falls, what do we do when we're lying in our bed and we're feeling scared because we're not sure what's going to happen next? We just keep trusting Jesus because he's in control. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you care for us and you have loved us with an everlasting sacrificial love in the Lord Jesus, your Son. We pray, Lord, all of us are in different circumstances, different feelings about society or our own place or the things that are happening in our own life, help us to keep living by faith and hope and love. And help us, Lord, to be joyful as we make choices to love you and to love others, even when it brings us suffering. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.